Welcome to the very first episode of Unframed. I'm your host, Anthea Pockroy. For my first episode, I chat to founders of the Kalashnikov Gallery, MJ Turpin and Matthew Dean Dowdle. They've just relaunched their new gallery space at the 70 Juta Precinct in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. Kalashnikov was first founded in 2013 by the duo out of frustration with the existing gallery discourse in South Africa at the time. Over the years, they have experimented with interdisciplinary events, a project space, and now a more commercial gallery space. They aim to challenge perceptions of the industry and make art accessible for all. In this episode, we chat about the importance of the gallery's growth alongside their artists' careers, collaborating with other galleries in order for their artists to gain more exposure, how the gallery has survived over the years, making art cool again and how they are doing things differently to other galleries, and how their interdisciplinary events help them to deeply understand the creative culture of the city. Enjoy listening to my chat with Matt and Murray in our very first interview, which was recorded in the new Kalashnikov space. So excuse the sound for my very first attempt and the echoey sounds of the gallery. It will only get better from here. Enjoy. So I'd just like to ask you a bit about Kalashnikov 1.0, 2.0, and what actually got us to this point. How did you get to 3.0? Well, 3.0 actually contains 1.0, because this is seven studios that used to all be separate parts of the 70 Juta building. It went from a three-month pop-up in 24 square meters to kind of just rolling that out over a year and a half. I think we were actually in the small space. During that time, we took over another studio next door, so we grew from one little 24-meter space to another 24-meter space. And then when we wanted to grow into the third one, it was kind of like, well, hold up, you can't really afford to rent this thing at this size on the main road and what are the other options and that was when we decided to actually build the new space in what was at the time a parking garage in the road behind where we are now and that was the Kalashnikov 2.0 at 153 Smith Street. It was the only shop on that whole side of the street and it's not even a real street, it's a service street. So there was always the risk of people not knowing where we were and definitely not getting any walk-through traffic or passes by. And I think that's something we just lived with for the last four years because we always felt comfortable that we knew the people who know what we do and care about the art and they care about the industry at large will make a plan to find us and they'll hunt us down. And many did. There's but definitely a few that got lost along the way and never actually found Kalashnikov for a year or two. But uh, I mean, those are semi-cons. Also, the pros were great. They had our own road for opening, so that was no chance of you know, people getting run over. It was very controlled. We had the Nelson Mandela Bridge as our backdrop. Which yeah, was facing also, the Mandela Bridge. Facing the Mandela Bridge is also super cool. There were pros and cons, there but pros we had to do it at the time. To go from 48 squares into almost 100, which was the space before. Well, first it was like 75, because the rec room, we only had it like a year later. Yeah. So we started with just the L shape, as you as you know today, minus yeah. what we call the rec room, which is a project space, which we added later, like, I don't know, a year later. And all it was was another square of the car park, so we just built another wall, designed a big steel door, and just added that on, and that was for... Um, 
three or four years we were there. Yeah, for emerging but, artists, young, uh, sometimes with project shows, for our other artists of, of exhibitions or presentations that are more experimental and not, uh, let's say, uh, commercially viable, if you will, but very important to the South African art scene to showcase these sort of types of work. Project shows, essentially. Yeah. And also having two shows running in your space made a huge difference for us. The thing with a solo exhibition, which is what we focused on the majority of the time we were in that space, is a solo show, it's going to resonate with some people, and some people can walk into the gallery, and maybe that specific artist doesn't resonate with them. It's not nothing to do with the artist. It's no one's fault. It's just... Uh, different aesthetics and different ideas of what is good or what is important. So by having the second show, you always have the ability to say, well, okay, you're not enjoying this show, but there is a whole other thing that's going on in this room, which is totally different. We always try to curate the two shows in a way that they weren't opposites, but they were not supposedly the same or along the same line. They different mediums, at the very least. Different yeah. mediums, different theoretical frameworks, just different ideas, which when you look at the two together can contextualize a little bit of the Johannesburg art scene, especially for international visitors and people mm. coming from other cities. About points around uh, solo shows versus representing more than one artist on a show, does an audience pool have any element in that? Because if you have a solo show, you'll likely only attract family, friends, or fans of that particular person. Whereas a group show, I mean, we're sitting in your group show right now. How many artists do you have on the show? Fifteen. So you have fifteen networks of audiences to actually access. Does that influence you in any way in when you're thinking about a show? My thinking was the same. And every solo show that we did in the old Kalashnikov space before where we are now outperformed a group show. Interesting. And more people do come to the group shows, but and the support is there and the numbers are there and it looks great and everyone's feeling wonderful and it's busy, but that does not have anything to do with proportion uh, to sales. Sales, yeah. sales. The thing that you learn from that is that giving the artist more space to contextualize their work fully and to expand on their narrative in a way that people can relate to from start to finish is ultimately what will make a show perform better sales-wise. If I could just go back to 3.0. Oh, yeah. What was the decision to move, actually? Well, I mean, we're always consistently growing. And I suppose every two years or so, we kind of... Outgrow something. Outgrow. Outgrowing our galleries. Dealing with bigger artists, bigger works, bigger fairs more high-end clients, you kind of, you have to grow with with your market somehow. On the one hand, it's logistical, and then on the other hand, it's perception-based. Because in order for us to represent the artists that we are now representing, so if you look at our program for 2018, you'll see a lot of artists that we're now starting to take artists from more established galleries, artists that have had long, successful careers with some of the biggest galleries in the country, are now starting to join our stable. So in order to facilitate that move, there has to be no gap in the perception with their clients of where are you moving from this gallery to that gallery. They have to see the spaces look similar. They're all on the main road. There, There has to be no visible disparity between the physical side of 
what we are, how we exist, and what we do in comparison to the other major galleries in the country. Teresa McIntosh, Teresa Ann McIntosh, uh, has had a great career with Gallery Momo and recently joined our stable. A few years ago, we started co-representing Maya Malovic. Uh, we now have Ayanda Mabulu, who's been with various galleries over the years. Fusi Bouchamp, who came to us from Goodman. These are just a few of the names. It's not about where they come from. It's really just about positioning yourself in a situation where the clients who've been following and supporting these artists, some of them for decades, feel that they are also continuing to grow in a positive way. Makanda works with us, but she's also now working with everyone. Really, in Cape Town, you know, like a lot of us have been and shown in all the spaces. And we still, as a gallery, continue to collaborate with other galleries, curatorially, mm. um, just splitting up spaces, sending a show that happened in Joburg to an affiliated gallery in Cape Town. And all of this uh, collaboration and the way we work is really under the ideal of how do we articulate the way a gallery works. Yeah. A lot of people are not as open to operating the way that we do. People will approach us and say, can we work with one of your artists? And we always have the same thing. The artist will get the same amount of money and the two galleries will split whatever's left over. And people freak out about that. You're just taking all the hard work we've done and trying to use it for your own ends. But we're also fully aware of how important it is to actually work for your artists, create opportunities in other spaces for your artists to build CDs, to build bios, to constantly... Build perception, yeah, build their brand. It, like public appearances, insofar as when I say appearance, I mean they work in a new space. They don't actually have to be present per se. But a lot of guys, I mean, we've done world art, freed, contemporary, Smith Studio, Smith Studio, LKB in Hamburg. In Hamburg, M Contemporary, a lot of, that was one of our few first international shows in, in Australia. Australia. The idea of gallery collaborations, some just get it and they understand and they're keen to go for it. Some people you have to really... Because a lot of them we share a similar ethos with the galleries and the aesthetics that they are drawn to and shown, we are drawn to and show already. So that's how, that's how it works, you know. And now we're being a little bit more, not necessarily aggressive per se, but we're working with artists in the UK and Brazil. So it's kind of like the whole notion of global south so it makes sense to us to also kind of not necessarily you know, like jump on that wave to be part of it but when we decide to let's say do what is it, let's say a fair in the uk or a fair in south america to actually have an artist there already opposed to going to the whole expense of sending south african just south african art there which we learned when we had our berlin space that you have to find a balance between your local market and the market you're trying to show there, you know, because which would be South African artists. The yeah. industry of people in the city where you're active need to relate to what you're doing. Mm. So when we went to, we opened our gallery in Berlin, a big group show of South African artists followed by solo exhibitions of some of our bigger artists. And we only really started to get traction in Berlin when we started to put Berlin-based younger or established artists on these group shows. Then mm. you start dealing with the local network of people. And you don't alienate yourself because I think if you had to look at it in the reverse, what would happen in Johannesburg if a German or Swiss or even Brazilian gallery 
at an open up shop right in the middle of your city, yeah. but we don't engage with the local market or the local industry at all. It takes time to develop. You know, people would say, well, what are you, what are you giving to us? You're not a platform for us as artists. The artists will say, well, this isn't for us. They only show people from there. So it becomes a novelty thing where you're not really engaging. No one's relating to what you're doing because locally you're not providing any platform for anyone that wasn't already there. How long did you do that space in Berlin for? Berlin was open just for a year. Uh, it went for a little bit longer, but it was always only supposed to be for a year. Mm. I hear what you're saying. There are, I suppose there is, is quite a European agenda in bringing African art to to Europe. I, I know a lot of UK-based galleries that I, that I do work for that only represent African art and in London. I'm sure it's, it, I'm sure it's a huge journey to actually educate the market to want to be interested in it. And I suppose you guys were doing it remotely, so that must have been a challenge too. Well, we were there. Were you based there? Not you were back time. Yeah, we were commuting, but I mean, we were there for every opening, all the major events that happened in the Berlin space, we were there. I mean, we spent months there between the two of us. I think what's interesting is where a gallery is positioned. If you look at a gallery that is based in London and only represents African diaspora art, I think they're opening themselves up to a different type of criticism and some people will say it's problematic and everyone will have a divided opinion. But for us, we are a South African gallery. We're based in Johannesburg. We started in Johannesburg and we had to communicate that when we went to Berlin. We were never trying to say this is going to be one of these big global galleries like a Piratin with uh, Tokyo, London, New York, Paris, LA. That is a global Force. That's that's an H&M type of thing. For us, we're very much rooted here, and we needed to find that balance between still maintaining our identity, but also engaging and providing something of tangible value to the artist, because it's an artist-run gallery. You know? That is our ethos. That's how we started. When we started, we were the first artist-run gallery in the city, as far as I know. There might have been one or two before us. Yeah, I mean, but, the only one that you could... Let's Same put it this way, that we're the only one that stuck around for this amount yeah. of time. There definitely were one or two before us. I think Out- Outlet was still functioning, I think. Uh, Outlet was Shane Delanger. Yeah. But even before uh, that... He was just up there, I and think. And Marcus Newstater oh, yeah. yeah. The Civic Theatre, that was premises. Oh, that was... But that was pre-2010. Yeah, they were, they were um, pioneering that. But so did yeah. Gordon Fry. Gordon Fry yeah. had good art. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, in the strictest sense, it's a toss-up between... Premises and Trinity Session and Gordon Fry. But a lot of these guys weren't actually active. They were active before we started. At the but time, when we yeah. decided to do it, it was really a response to the landscape. Yeah. Also, I mean, like guys were like, we're running a gallery. They all had other jobs and they did this now and again. Like Trinity Session was based there and then they had a space. Mm. So Trinity Session was their core business. Yeah. Premises was not their core business. With all due respect. No, no, of course. Uh, and you definitely, uh, actually leads me to my next question quite nicely because I think, in, yeah, in my opinion, when you started in 2013, you really were filling this, this massive gap for emerging artists, uh, for experimental projects. What, uh, what I see you, you having started was a project space as opposed to a gallery. And, you know, a project space generally connotes um, non-commercial, experimental, emerging artists. And like innovation, I suppose. Um, so we did all of that, but we were trying to sell it. Because we, we had to. 
Yeah, exactly. There was never any funding for Kalashnikov. Kalashnikov mm-hmm. is very proud to say we've only applied for funding, whatever, maybe 10 times. And I think the best thing that's ever happened to us is we've been turned yeah. down every time. Is this to like corporate and government funding yeah. bodies? Mostly government. I mean, if no, I say we've done 10 big applications for some sort of funding, the majority were government or institutional. There were a couple of corporates. We just, yeah. uh, no one ever really had that outright belief in what we were doing. So we had to. And no one, because there is no money, the only option to do is make money. You have to sell something. But you also have a specific aesthetic that you like as a curator and as a gallery. We are very specific in the style of work that we show. So you can't compromise there. You only have one way forward. Create the market. So how did you create the market? How did you survive? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, a lot of it was a hybrid between events and art. So we would mix music and art. Our exhibitions would be openings and parties. You know what I mean? So we definitely hybridized. Ultimately, it was networking. That was the answer to everything. And it was creating a situation where people want to be at our shows, whether they're buying art or interested in art Mm -hmm. or not. I think it was just really creating what was the beginning in 2013 of a social movement where people were like, well, I know these guys, I think what they do is cool, but I don't really understand it fully. It was really just a situation where people who, they hadn't even admitted to themselves that they were into art as such. That fine art, that like white cube, fancy glasses of wine, schmoozing, three kisses on various cheeks. A lot of that was going on at all the gallery openings that we went to. And that, that was also one of the things that we did totally differently. We had our own space, but we went to every single gallery opening that we could. Other people's exhibitions, whether it was at a museum or if it was just a talk or a residency, we were so hyperactive that no one could really do anything in the Johannesburg art world without seeing us or having to engage with us in some way. But it was also just to my frustration as an artist dealing with I literally had shown in pretty much every single space and worked with most of the curators, or maybe one or two, and no one ever got what, what we wanted to do. And I say we, because as an artist, I had my own feeling, and then I shared certain sent- sentiments with Matt, and then it goes back to the notion of hybridization and, and accessibility and creating brand new platforms. And that's what we did, and that's how we uh, ended up like being successful and getting a big following and surviving, because in the end it was about creativity and people, not just commerciality and the objectification of creativity or having a product to sell was more, you know? I think fundamentally our goal, if you really had to simplify it, was for me, I wanted to be in a situation where I felt like we'd made art cool again. Not to say it was ever not cool. You know, I didn't do the whole four years of studying and like checking the whole growth of the industry over the early 2000s. I kind of came into it from a different angle, a different trajectory. And by the time I'd really gotten immersed in this art world, I was like, well, is this it? Are there really just these seven or eight spaces that represent between five and 15 artists each? Is that our whole industry? Is that the landscape? Are all the openings done in the same way? They all kind of seem to just, I wouldn't say copy each other, but there seems to be a formula to the way that it all works. And the real question I was asking myself was, 
can we do this differently? Can we make this better? Can we make this more engaging? Can we make this more accessible? And can we actually start converting people? They buy all sorts of other bullshit. They buy golf clubs. They buy fancy cars. They're not not buying art because they can't afford it. They're not buying art because they haven't felt the direct link between them, the artists, and this movement that we were sort of stirring around at the time. What would you say you are doing differently? And then also, can you describe some of the artwork, not exactly, but the, the kind of artwork that you are representing and wanting to show in your gallery, or the people you're wanting to work with that might be different? I'm going to let Murray answer that, but I'm going to say, the funny thing is, as all these years keep ticking by, we're still constantly evolving. And all the things we had to do between 2013 and 2016 to create this whole idea of what it was that Kalashnikov stood for. A lot of that we don't have to do anymore. A lot of the artists we're working with now are not in that same space. Now people know who these guys are. They've been on the covers of newspapers and magazines, and I won't say they're household names. But we've become our own worst enemy in an ironic sense. What do you mean by that? The more success we get, we garner, the more mainstream we become. Um, to go back to, I suppose, the manner in which we should answer a question from the beginning was we didn't categorize creativity. We didn't believe in the notion of high and low art. We didn't believe in the validation of creative practice through tertiary-based education alone. By virtue of what we wanted to become as a gallery and as people were, were hybrids, creative hybrids, and whilst being critical and reflective of the change we want to see in the world, the art world more specifically, and by extension the world, be it social, political, racial, aesthetic. A lot of our artists were that very thing. They were hybrids between high and low art. They were commenting on politics and race and a lot of the staples of the South African. Actually, not even like this, the, the art world as a whole. So yeah. And now we're just dealing with a different type of artist, essentially, which needs a different type of gallery a different type of so it's still the same ethos but now their careers are developed their aesthetics are developed yeah so it becomes a different ball game whilst we still deal with quite a few younger artists that are emerging that are like kind of pushing the envelope that we were after seven years ago now we have a lot of guys that have become mid-career to establish so now we've got to think of they're all them, different things. And a, and a new audience. Well, the rec room was trying to do that, right? Exactly. That's, that's why it's You started the rec room to, to give a platform to more emerging artists, yeah. whereas the gallery was for the more mid-career artists. Yeah, exactly. Is that so we would have, like, Vusi in the main gallery, and then, like, let's utilize, I don't know, Sikilele de Mane as another example, mm. would be in the rec room. So what's happened so, to the rec room? What can we expect of the rec room? No, we still have rec room Where's shows. Where's rec room? This is the rec room right there. <laughs> so the rec room is just from this line? Yeah. It's less partitioned than your previous space. It but might still become more. I mean... You can always build more <laughs> drywalls. Yeah. It's best though. It's not about yeah. uh, really separating it. It's just an idea. The rec room is an idea that you can have two shows in the same space provided that... They are slightly apart from each other. They still need to engage with each other. There's still a dialogue between the two shows. Also, we have our, like, finally, after seven years, we actually have a space that we can call an office. Where is your office? It's just around the corner. Oh, okay. But that'll function as an office and a preview room, and if needed, an extension to the rec room. Yes. Um, depending on the artist and the show. There's still going to be two openings on the same night in our program for the rest of the year. And 
forever to something that we wouldn't like to change. Just going back to your comment earlier around trying to create interdisciplinary events. I mean, I remember the Black Cube sessions uh, in, I'm not quite sure what year that would have been, like 2013 or so? 2014. 2014. 2014. Yeah, I'm just wondering about what happened to the Black Cube sessions. And Matt, I know you've come from a, from a music and event background. You used to run the woods, own the woods, right? Mm-hmm. Organize a lot of events. I'm just wondering how that experience or those interests feed into what's happening right now with what you're doing. Oh, and the tennis club. How do these things work for you? What what is their importance and how do they play out? It gave us a huge advantage, not just business-wise or as far as your network. The advantage between being involved deeply in the music industry of South Africa or specifically Johannesburg and working entrenched in the art world if you do both simultaneously or you move gradually from one to the other, ultimately what you get is you understand the culture of your city. I mean, these are the two most like important factors in understanding the culture of a city. Obviously, there's socioeconomic factors. There's all these geographic things. There's a million things to consider. But if you can understand the creativity of a city as far as the music that drives it, what people are thinking listenings, you get a cross-section of what's actually going on in people's heads. And that's when I say understanding the creative culture of a city. So I think we had all these artists that were either making paintings or making music, but they all needed the same thing. They all needed this audience to break through. And all we try to do was create the platform where the audience can come to them. Matt, can you tell me about how you got involved in Kalashnikov? How did you and Marry Meet, how did this idea to start a gallery come about? I had a space. It wasn't one of my established nightclubs or bars. It was kind of a transient space that I'd fallen in love with, which was in a building in Newtown. And I wanted to do one specific event for that space. And the space was like a 400 square meter concrete floor, five meter high ceilings, white walls. It was a a white cube. It could have, it would have made a fantastic gallery under different circumstances. So I had this space and I wanted to respond to the space with an event. So the idea was this fashion, art, music. For me, it was a way to include all my friends that did amazing stuff in one day to showcase all the great things that I was surrounded by coming out of people I knew. The art side, I was unsure of. Everything else I was pretty much on top of from a production point. But when it came to the art, I realized I was slightly out of my depth and understanding the little bit of the art world that I did. I know you can't just play around in the fine art space. You can't just step in and do it sort of 90%. It needs to be done well. So I went to Murray. I said, I need you to just do this Part of this thing and it all went really well to the point where people bought a lot of the art that was on show we were surprised by this i mean we were really expecting only to sell one or two if anything and the response gave us that little push to say well let's do this again but let's put the focus more on certain elements let's focus on the art. Everything else can be peripheral. We will still give people an after party for the exhibition. We will still have great curated music from local musicians at the exhibition, but it won't be the focus. So basically we chose the two most successful components of the festival, the original festival concept, and that was music and art, and we ran with that. And that's when the birth of what we called Satellite Spaces, the Untitled Gallery. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, then, so that was straight away, we started this pop-up brand, 
And part of that was also the brand was linked to the transient nature of the way the city was working at the time. There never used to be a big Mabuneng precinct. There never used to be this play Bramfontine precinct. Newtown was kind of the only place where there was three or four things happening that weren't... There were spaces that were occupied by artists, musicians, but a lot of the time people coming from the suburbs to experience town or the inner city for the first time. So we decided to make part of the narrative with satellite spaces about what are these spaces and to not use traditional spaces. So we used an empty office that had no tenants. Then we used a space in Mabuneng that later became like a car dealership. And then this sort of Bramfontein play our area. House, you know, our first concept was actually called Our House in the Green Building. That was our concept. third one. Was that the third one? That was, and that was the last satellite spaces we did. It led us to Bramfontein. And that was when we sort of just got this idea in our heads that we're sick of moving around and doing mm. this pop-up thing. Because yeah. it's so much work. It's two months dealing with over 40 artists a show. And because of the landlords we were dealing with, they, they were cool and all. They'd also go, cool, end of the month, tenants just moved out. You could have it for four days, basically. So, we'd, so set up we'd, Wednesday. Exhausted. Yeah, it was exhausted. like doing an art yeah. fair every out time. And, yeah. Out by Monday. Like, opening yeah. on Thursday night, people on Friday and Saturday, clean up and deinstall on a Sunday. And it's like a lot of things yeah. for three days. Yeah. And now you're, during those three days, you're also trying to drag people to places they've never been. It's like on the fifth floor of some random industrial building in town. How do you guys feel about the progression or genesis from this kind of experimental project space to a more conventional gallery? Are you a bit nostalgic about those moments, even though they sounded very stressful and... What are your thoughts on that? It was fun and it was challenging, yeah. but it was definitely worthwhile. You have to do that. A lot of experimenting before you can figure out what is the easier or more efficient way to achieve what you want to achieve. And I think uh, having a static space, getting back to your very first question of where we are now, back on the main road, in a vibrant uh, inner city precinct that gets a lot of international visitors and people from all over the city, you get to engage and you get to show people something they haven't seen before. It's the most important thing for us now is just getting to change people's perceptions about what they think they're going to see when they arrive in an area like this. We spoke a little bit, Matt, about your other career. I wanted to ask Murray more about your career as an artist. When I was at art school, we were told, you can't be an artist and a curator. There's a huge school of thought that believes that it's a conflict of interest. So I wanted to ask your opinion on that. How do you manage the two? Can you talk to me about how you position your own work in your gallery and outside of the gallery? What is your relationship to your role as curator and artist? It's funny you say that. We went to the same school, so I was told the same thing my whole life. <laughs> and then also, I'm the kind of person that if someone tells me to do something, I'll try my hardest to prove you wrong. So I'm as anti-authoritarian by nature. Suffice to say, it has its pros and its cons. A lot of what the gallery is about is kind of reflective of the same anti-authoritarian nature that a lot of the artists have that is reflected in the work that I love, but I don't make. I don't make work like Ayanda, but I love Ayanda. I don't make work like Lucy, but I love what Lucy does. And it goes for all of them, really. Um, as far as traversing the landscape that is owning a gallery and, and sometimes showing work in it yourself, I created this gallery because I hated all the other galleries. That's the simplest point of reference, yeah. really. did not get on with any of them. I did not like the ethos. I did not like the people that worked there. 
Um, and what better way to solve a problem than is than do to do it yourself. So that do-it-yourself attitude is very similar in both of us, myself yeah. and Matthew. We don't wait around for anything. If we have a great idea, we do it. Yeah. We kind of beg, borrow, and steal to make things happen. We don't rest on our laurels and we don't... We're not waiting for someone else to say, well, here's your golden opportunity, yeah, we're take very, it. Yeah. We're very much of the opinion that we'd rather um, beg for forgiveness than ask for permission quite often. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> which is little, private, in, little private moment, yeah. Which has got us in trouble once or <laughs> oh, You have no idea. Yeah. So, um, but I just, yeah, I mean, I really, I hear you and I think that if you were running a gallery representing other artists and stifling your own art career and not giving yourself that, you would resent the gallery, you would resent the artist, you would... It, but I'm blessed yeah, because this, I'm yeah. surrounded by no less than, uh, well, no, it's more, 15 artists that inspire me daily. The way they work, their aesthetic, their theoretical frameworks. I'm blessed to be, a, to be constantly surrounded by artists doing amazing stuff, which also informs my own practice. And also sometimes we joke that, I mean... The Kalashnikov is a, an ongoing process-based performance piece. This gallery is an artwork most of the time. You, know? <laughs> you might um, watch uh, Marina Abramovic do the worst things to herself for 8, 9, 10, sometimes 48 <laughs> hours. We've put ourselves through it for 7 years. <laughs> <laughs> but then also going yeah. back to it, like being told by the powers that be or tertiary institutions or... The gatekeepers of fine art being the art fairs eventually did catch up with me. And um, we're one, one or two art fairs said, I cannot exist like this. You cannot own a gallery and be an artist. Um, no, well, specifically they said, if, it, if you are one of the directors, directors of the business that is renting the stand at the art fair, you can't physically have your own artworks for sale in that stand. And then I had to make the decision. Do I want to say, fuck you, which I've done my whole life? Or do I think about the other 10? This is Matthew now. That's my conscience. Do you think about the other 12 artists that you now work for? So what the fuck am I going to choose? Obviously, I'm going to choose the other 10 artists and bar art. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's difficult. It's a difficult yeah. space. It's a great area. It is great, yeah. Trend. Artist-run yeah. spaces are spaces where the dynamics are shifted in favor of the artist. I mean, so after being banned... What did I do? I just was like, I decided to go and approach another gallery. So all I did was, then I was represented by another gallery for art fairs. And that gallery was, wait for it, next door to us at the fucking art fair. And here I was at Kalashnikov, and there my art was at Hazard. Artist run space as well. And then there's Jonathan represented by Gallery Momo. He's yeah. the director of Hazard. And then you have Micah Backer, who's represented by us, but she owns no in contemporaries. Yeah. So. Speaking about art fair, uh, we were at Cape Town Art Fair earlier this year. Curator and writer Andrew Lambrecht, he was doing a walkabout and he, he said, um, this is Kalashnikov Gallery. This is one of the most important spaces in South African art at the moment. And I came and I told you both straight afterwards that I heard him say that. But basically, I just wanted to know what your thoughts on that are. How do you feel about that compliment? And is that pressurizing? It makes us feel like we've actually been doing all this for like a reason. It wasn't all in vain. It wasn't all just for our ongoing performance. Yeah. Actually, we are breaking new ground. As, as frustrating as it is for us, it is happening. We are being proponents of change. 
it's not happening at this time frame that we want necessarily, i.e. it's still taking too slowly to develop and evolve the South African art world. It's very traditional still. And someone has to do it. And when you have like very important uh, figures within the sort of commentary of the South African art world saying cool, positive things, think, wow, it actually makes it all worth it somehow. It's not so much about uh, success or not succeeding, being important or not important. I think we're only important by definition of trying to do something differently. It doesn't really matter if you nail it or, okay, these guys started in this way and then they became the biggest gallery in the country. That's not the objective. The objective is so much bigger than that. It's to get in the minds of people who don't think art is for them. Don't think that it's important in their life because A, they can't consume it the way they think it's meant to be consumed, which is through ownership. For us, we've always championed the idea that people need to walk into our space. They need to be educated on what it is that these artists are trying to tell them. And then they need to be educated further to understand why it's important, why it defines the generation you live in, why it defines the city where you find yourself, why it defines our society. All of the bigger sort of art questions and the art functions. So yeah, if we can try and do something different and people say that makes us important, then I will definitely take that compliment. How, how do you think that you educate your buyers or your, your market or your audience? Firstly, by just talking to them like normal people, the way you would talk about anything else. Because a lot of, as simple as that sounds, a lot of it doesn't happen. You see, people know who you are because you've been in and around the art industry for a long time. As someone who 10 years ago was an outsider, you know, walking into one of the big galleries, it's so strange the way people treat you. Intimidating. Yeah. Um, that, that's a good lead into to a question I want to ask around how you balance your audience because your openings are, you know, always filled with the coolest kids in Joburg, but do those cool kids buy art? And how do you then balance between having this kind of popular, trendy space with people that are interesting and exciting, but aren't necessarily people that are buying the art? So do you find these are two different audiences? How do you... They have to coexist. Do they coexist in the same night? Do you do different days for them? Do you have private viewings? Do they all come to the opening at the same we time? Do like, of, we do all of those things. And some nights are more curated to the intellectual art crowd, or let's call it the art press. Also, not necessarily people who buy the work, but the people who you want talking about the work. The ultimate goal is to force these people to coexist. And that's what I love about our openings. We have brown for teen students, and then you have your slightly older generation who work in advertising or film. And then you have the seasoned art buyers who've been retired for decades. They could come at 10 o'clock on Monday morning when there's not really going to be anyone else around, but they'll choose to come to the opening. Yeah. There's something different happening there. There's a whole different social dynamic which leads to a different dialogue, which leads to the situation of perceptions being changed. That's what we want. But yeah, it is, it is a little bit uh, crazy when you've got 500 people at your exhibition opening, but just a sprinkling of maybe between 10 and 15 of the serious art buyers at least they're there. At least they are all having these discussions together and being forced to understand their own place in this uh, space. Mm. Um, you guys have been very busy this year, and it's only like May. 
Um, you have um, just come back from the supermarket art fair in Sweden. You've had a series of collaborations with Graham's Fine Art Gallery in Bryanston. You've partnered with JAG on a solo exhibition for Bussi Busham. Can you tell, I'm, I'm sure there's other, you've just moved. Um, I'm sure there are other things I'm missing, but um, can you tell me maybe what your highlight of 2018 has been so far? Just being alive. <laughs> as an individual or as a gallery? Well, I don't know. Just sometimes it, growth is an interesting conundrum. Um, and success is an even more interesting conundrum. You spend your whole life wanting to grow and be successful. And then eventually when it does happen, you realize it's also directly proportionate to how hard you have to work to maintain it and continue going. In other words, we haven't reached our favorite moment of 2018 yet, nor do I think we'll ever reach a favorite moment because that's the very ethos of what we do. We're always thinking bigger. We're always going for the growth of us as individuals, our artists as individuals, the gallery as a collective. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a work in progress. Um, a lot of people thought we wouldn't exist for six months, and the mere fact that we've been around for eight years is probably the, the, that moment unto itself, which is continual, is a driving force. Thanks to Matt and Murray for being my first podcast guinea pigs and for sharing what they have learned with us over the years through much trial and error. Kalashnikov's current exhibition is Concerning Violence by Ayanda Mabulu and is on until the 2nd of July 2018. Tune in next time for an interview with artist Gordon Froud, who talks about his long art career and current show at Standard Bank Gallery in Johannesburg. Thanks to all of you who have listened today. See you next time. Bye.